Father God, I thank you for uh, this day that you've given us, for the word that you've given me, and for the impact that it can have on all those gathered here today who will hear it. So just bless this time, bless the, the giving and the receiving of your word. Give you thanks and praise, Lord, and we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, I was, uh, last Thursday, I was um, praying about what, what to preach on. And I was here, as, as you know, we've been doing a uh, time of prayer here in the church twice a week, nine o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays, just to pray for the church. We pray uh, over anybody's name that you've given us that you would like to have come to Jesus that, you know, is still kind of out wandering in the, uh, in the far land. You know, we'll pray to try to bring them home to, uh, to their father and, and just praying about praying over everyone who is here and so forth. So, I mean, it's, it's a good time uh, of prayer and we, w- we welcome anybody that would like to come and uh, that has that time available. So I was, I was here and at one point the Lord kind of led me to walk around the sanctuary and just pray as I was kind of doing laps around the, uh, the sanctuary. <clears throat> and I was stopping at um, the two plants that are in the corner. And I was just looking and I was kind of just picking off, you know, some dead leaves and, you know, just kind of tending to them a little bit. And as I was doing that, I got this sense that God said, I want you to talk about pruning. Like, okay. Well, that immediately leads me <clears throat> to uh, John's gospel and this passage that we're going to look at today, which is the first part of John 15. Um, because those verses talk about Jesus as the vine. And it describes his father as, in the ESV translation, as the vine dresser. But the word that's used there really means gardener. I mean, a vine dresser is simply a type of gardener. He's also the one that does the pruning. And then the followers of Jesus are the branches that we, uh, that we were going to uh, talk about. But before I get into that, I want to set the stage and talk just a tiny little bit about pruning. <clears throat> now, I think most people know that it involves cutting back, um, trimming a bush or a plant of some kind. Uh, that, frankly, was about the extent of my knowledge of pruning. I am not the gardener in the family. My wife is. Um, my, my role as a gardener is to dig holes, to put things in. Honey, can you dig a hole over here? Sure. So that's, I dig the hole. That's, that's gardening for me. Uh, well, I do sling mulch around sometimes, so I mean, that, if that counts. So digging holes and slinging mulch is gardening for me. Now, but I understand that there's really more to it than that, okay? Uh, and so I really just thought that when you pruned a bush, what you were doing was trying to give it a better shape. You know, it, it gets kind of out of control and grows places you don't want it to, and that, that was, that's really, you know, sort of what you're trying to do. Well, that's, that's really not all you're trying to do with it. Now, for example, if we were to look at a rose bush. Now, if you leave a rose bush to kind of just grow on its own, it gets really straggly looking and kind of tangled up, 
And it does something that's sort of interesting. It starts to grow in on itself. And so what happens is when it starts to do that, it begins to produce a lot of not so good roses. Instead of a smaller number of really, really splendid looking roses. Now, what happens is that because of this growing in on itself, it gets in the way of its own light. So it begins to um, shade itself, in essence, from the light that really is going to come down and, and give it what it needs to be able to grow. So it needs some help to allow it to grow in the right direction. And so you prune it so that it stops wasting energy and it stops being unproductive. And so what you cut out in particular are the parts of the plant that are growing inwards and are getting things tangled up. Now let me repeat that if you didn't quite catch what I'm saying the first time. You cut out the parts that are growing inwards and getting things tangled up. You encourage the shoots that are growing outwards towards the light. And so you prune a rose, in other words, to help it be its true self. And as far as I understand it, the same principle applies to vines. So now that we kind of have this picture of pruning in our minds, let's look at this verse that we're uh, spending some time with today from John's Gospel. And it's John 15, 15th chapter, verses 1 through 8. And we'll have it up here on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible with you. So we're going to read through the whole thing, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. So starting at verse 1, I am, and this is Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. <coughs> now let's see what we can kind of learn by looking at this individually. So let's go first to this first vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now vine really has a double meaning here. If you are 
Jewish at that time, you understand that when Jews talked about the vine, what they were really talking about was the nation of Israel. Israel is referred to as the vine in, <coughs> in Jewish tradition <coughs> and in uh, actually in the Psalms. So Jesus is really saying here, I am the true vine. And the only thing he can really mean by that is that he is sort of calling himself the true Israel. And that his followers are all members of God's new people. You know, this new people that he's creating. And that if they belong to him and remain in him, then they're a part of all of that. So that's really one meaning that he could be referring to here in terms of vine. But the other is really much more obvious. A vine is what? It's a source of life. It draws nutrients up from the soil through its roots and then distributes them <coughs> to, <coughs> to its branches. So the second meaning here is Jesus saying that he is the true source of life. <clears throat> and he tells us that his father is the vine dresser. Like I said, it's really just a specific type of gardener. And the vine dresser's role is to examine the branches that are attached to the vine. <clears throat> so in this metaphor, Jesus is saying that his father will examine the lives of people who are attached to Jesus. Presumably that would be us. So let's move on to verse 2. It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So if a branch is bearing no fruit, it's removed. Who do you suppose Jesus is talking about here? Well, I think if you look at the context that this comes from, I believe he's specifically talking about Judas. And in general, talking about those who are like him. Now, why do I say that? Well, if you go back into chapter 13, <clears throat> you find that is where um, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples and then it sort of continues into the Last Supper and then G Judas betrays Jesus, leaves the room and then he begins this teaching that really starts towards the end of 13, continues on for multiple chapters. It's really the longest contained teaching that Jesus does anywhere in Scripture. Here are these verses or these chapters really from John. And so he does this, and, and there's some questions and answers that are sort of a part of this. But Judas was the one that I think he was focusing on here. Now, does that mean that be not bearing fruit is necessarily equivalent to betraying Jesus? Well, I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying here. The context really doesn't uphold that. But I do think a branch is a person in Jesus who's not bearing fruit 
And I think it's someone who's trying to use Jesus for their own purposes. It's a relationship that's based on what Jesus can do for them, not on who he is. But if there is something, really anything, in the way of fruit being produced in someone's life, then the Father comes along and trims off those things that are self-serving in an effort to really encourage there to be more and better growth. Then he goes on to verse three and he says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Well, it's interesting, you don't really get this from the English, but if you look at the underlying Greek, the word clean and the word prune are very closely related. So it's sort of like John's doing a little bit of a play on words here. And so you would ask, well, what's this word that John's talking about in this? You know, you, you, because you're clean because of the word. Well, he's clearly called them to follow him and to take up their cross. And so they have that word that has already pruned some things um, from them. I mean, they've had to submit some of their own ambitions in life, some of the plans or the dreams that they may have had. And now they've subjugated that to what Jesus has asked them to do. So they've already been pruned to a certain extent. And now they have to expect that there is probably going to be a little bit more. Then in verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now we come to this word that is not only integral to this passage, but it's essentially integral to the book of John because he uses it something like 40 times. And in some translations, it says abide, and in some other translations, it says remain. So it might say remain in me or abide in me. He's trying to encourage the disciples because of this wonderful new relationship that is now theirs and that the agency of the Holy Spirit is going to sort of bring them and provide to them. But he's also teaching them that this relationship is fundamental to bearing fruit. And so this idea of abiding or remaining in Jesus is a way of speaking of this intimate relationship that not only they, but we as well are supposed to enjoy and to cultivate. So let me stop here and ask you a question. If you're not abiding in Jesus, then where is it that you're abiding? If you're not abiding in Jesus, then where is it that you're abiding? Author Brent Curtis once asked himself that same question. And so he goes on to say the following. I began to notice that when I was tired or anxious, there were certain sentences that I would say in my head that led me to a familiar place. 
The journey to this place would often start with me walking around disturbed, feeling as if there were something deep inside that I needed to put into words and couldn't, couldn't quite capture. I felt the something as anxiety or loneliness and a need for connection with someone. If no connection came, I would start saying things like, life really stinks. Why is it always so hard? It's never going to change. If no one noticed that I was struggling or asked me what was wrong, I found my sentences shifted to a more cynical level. Who cares? Life's a joke. Surprisingly, by the time I was saying these last sentences, I was feeling better. The anxiety was greatly diminished. My comforter, my abiding place, was cynicism and rebellion. From this abiding place, I would feel free to use some soul cocaine. Watching a violent video with maybe a little sexual titillation thrown in, having more alcohol with a meal than I might normally drink. These things would allow me to feel better for a little while. I had always thought of these things just as bad habits. I began to see that they were much more. They were spiritual abiding places that were my comforter and friends in a very spiritual way. The final light went on one evening when I read John 15:7 in the message. Peterson translates Jesus' words on abiding this way. If you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home within you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. Jesus was saying in answer to my question, I have made my home in you, Brent but you still have other comforters to go to. You must learn to make your home in me. And so I ask you again, where do you abide? And looking at verse five, Jesus once again says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, as I look at this, I think, you know, Jesus is laying out a, a very clear distinction of duties here. I am the vine, you are the branches. So let me ask you another question. Are you a vine thinker? Or are you a branch thinker? When you have a problem facing you, do you approach it like you're the vine? Or do you approach it like you're a branch? Now, <clears throat> though I hate to admit it, I wish I had a dollar for every time that prayer was my last resort instead of my first response. That's an example of vine thinking. I can do this myself. I don't really need any help. Now there's a very clear solution to this. 
It's this abiding thing that Jesus keeps talking about. So the question that we've got to answer then is, well, how do we do that? How do I abide in Jesus? Or how do I remain in him? What does that look like <clears throat> if I have to walk that out? Well, I think there are two answers to that question. And it, it relates to the two answers that I think are present in Jesus' statement that I am the vine. So the first answer he gave was what? He said, I'm essentially the true Israel. Okay, I am now the people of God and my followers that are with me. And so I think that translates into the fact that we have got to remain in community that knows and loves Jesus and celebrates him as Lord of their life. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian, despite what numerous people will try to tell you and me. We can't go it alone. And so what that means, attending church on Sundays, it means being a part of a small group that meets during the week. That's step one of abiding in Jesus. <clears throat> and step two is remaining a people of prayer and worship in our own intimate, private lives. We've got to make sure that we're staying in touch, in tune with Jesus. Knowing him and being known by him. <coughs> now branches that decide to go it alone and to try living without the life of the vine soon discover their mistake. And in fact, they're kind of a lot like this. So if anybody <clears throat> has anything that they'd like to charge, I'm going to plug this in. Now, if you want to bring me anything that you have that you need charged, we'll plug it into the rest of these and then it'll work. You know, we'll get them charged up, right? No? See, isn't that effectively what we're doing? <clears throat> if we're not, if we think we're the vine, we have no power source. <clears throat> we just plug into ourselves and think, we're going to handle this. Verse 6. And actually, I've combined verses 6 and 7. If anyone does not abide in me, <clears throat> he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, you know, as if Jesus hasn't already offered us enough encouragement for abiding in him, now he's kind of offering us some negative encouragement. You do have a choice, Jesus' words say. It's not a particularly even choice. In fact, the alternative to abiding in him is pretty horrific. Now, people along through the ages have interpreted, you know, verse 6 and this question of burned branches a number of different ways. 
they have interpreted them as Christians who've lost their salvation. Okay. But I don't think that's the right answer because it contradicts a lot of what John says in other places in his gospel. So I don't think that's the right answer. It's also been interpreted as um, Christians who will lose some rewards, but not salvation at the judgment seat of Christ. <clears throat> but the problem with that is that Jesus is talking about dead branches. And such a branch is thrown away and withers. So that really doesn't make sense either as an answer. And so the burned branches, I think, refer to professing Christians who, like Judas, are not genuinely saved and therefore are judged. Like a dead branch, a person without Christ is spiritually dead and therefore will be punished in eternal fire. But what's interesting here is that as bad as the alternative is, isn't it fascinating that the sharpest warning in this passage is accompanied by the most extraordinary promise? Look back at it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So now, <clears throat> moving on to verse 8. And so this last verse, <clears throat> verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that if you bear one grape, and so prove to be my disciples. Wait, no, I don't, it doesn't say that. It says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear one stem of grapes, and so prove to be my disciples. Well, no, it doesn't quite say that either. It says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now it says much. And in my dictionary, the definition of much is great in quantity, measure, or degree. So here's another question to ask yourself. Does your level of fruit production glorify the Father? Took this from the Bible Speaks Today commentary. And it says the following. The ultimate purpose of the coming of Jesus, the glorifying of the Father, is realized primarily through the effective mission of the disciples the disciple community. The fruitlessness of believers is part and parcel, the fruitfulness, I'm sorry, the fruitfulness of believers is part and parcel of the way the Son glorifies the Father. To seek the glory of God will therefore imply a commitment to mission and not least world mission. As elsewhere in the New Testament, worship and evangelism become one. Further, it is by involvement in mission and becoming fruit bearers that we show ourselves to be authentic disciples. True grace is never idle. Well, what's the mission? It's right there on the wall. It says to make disciples. 
And if that's not happening, then God is not being glorified. And we're not living up to our calling to be disciples of Jesus. It's what this verse says. Now I'm closing. I want to just leave you with three, maybe even four questions that I'd like you to ponder. And they're just kind of rephrasing what we've talked about already. First of all, where am I abiding? And if not in Jesus, why not? And I don't mean these to be um, condemning questions because Jesus wouldn't ask them as condemning questions. He would just want, he would ask them as if he was just wanting to know. And so I don't know that you necessarily have to answer these by yourself. You want to answer them with Jesus. So I think this means getting in a time of prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to help you. Tell me, you know, where, where do you see that I'm abiding? And see what he says. Next, <clears throat> you need to ask yourself, <clears throat> are you a vine thinker? Is this your answer <clears throat> to most everything? You know, just plug into yourself and go. Next, are, you know, are you producing much fruit? <laughs> you know, I know it can sound like when you're preaching a verse like this that the, um, the, de- me- the deliverer of the message is up here kind of wailing away at you, but... I'm just telling you what the book says. And the book says much fruit. It doesn't say a grape. It doesn't say a stem of grapes. If we're branches, if you've ever seen branches on a grapevine, you know they go on for a ways. And it doesn't, there are plenty of places along the branch for grapes to grow. And the only way that we're going to get to a point of it being much fruit is if the grapes are growing all along the branch of the of that comes off the vine. <clears throat> and then finally, do I need to do some self-pruning? Now this might be a little bit easier than waiting for God to do it. <laughs> so maybe you go into your time with, with God and you say, Lord, what needs to get pruned off? Because if you're serious about this, it will get pruned off. And I just am thinking that it might be better if you go in and address it yourself than waiting for God to address it. Now again, I don't, God doesn't do things in a harsh way. It'll be done gently, but with a lot of conviction. And so I think you can speed the process up a little bit if you will go in and ask the Lord, what needs to be taken care of here? 
what pruning needs to happen. Where am I abiding? Am I guilty of vine thinking? Am I producing much fruit? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are in fact, and your son is the vine. And that by simply being a branch, we can exist to glorify you. So come and destroy all the notions of vine thinking that we may have. And as we abide in you, first and foremost, then you will always be where we'll turn. Help me this week as I ponder these questions. Help all of us. Speak your words of conviction, gentle but sure, and guide us into those places in our lives that need some attention. Places where we may be abiding somewhere other than in you and show us the way back to you. Father, we thank you that you are the one true God who made a way for all of us to come into intimate contact with you. 